Hey guys, welcome to the Scripture Study Project. This is our podcast where we hope to give you a fresh and faithful study of the Scriptures that we really hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you teach what you're learning to others. I'm Zach, and this is my insert adjective wife, Krista. That's literally what it says on my introduction. <laughs> I thought this is a thing where I say a cool adjective about her each episode. You're but getting I, pressured. But I couldn't think of one. <laughs> And so she said, hey, sometimes a thing doesn't happen. So the thing didn't happen this episode. But we're excited to have you with us. This is episode 12, and we're studying 2 Nephi 31 to 33. These are the last couple of chapters that Nephi himself writes. And the question we're asking is, what now? What next? And we'll explain that question here in just a little bit. But first, our study tip for today. And as you remember from last episode, we're combining the study and the teaching tip. I read this quote from Elder Bednar, which sums up perfectly what we're trying to do here. He says, Preaching by the Spirit and learning by faith are companion principles that we should strive to understand and apply concurrently and consistently. So we're going to be combining those and applying it to teaching and studying as as you see fit. Because, maybe, because Elder Bednar told us we could. Yeah, he, he knows he's the one to go to on this mm. type of stuff, right? But our study tip comes from Elder Kimby Clark and something that he's really pushing as the new commissioner of church education. And that is deep learning. The definition of deep learning is learning of the whole soul, the mind, the heart, the body, and the immortal spirit. So the steps to that is one, know and understand, two, take effective righteous action, and three, become more like our Father in heaven. He kind of explains this using, as he did in that quote, the mind, the heart, the body, and the spirit. So he says, deep learning should help us to better know and understand truth. Again, whether it's scriptural truth or truth related to biology, we should be able to better know in our mind and understand in our heart that truth. That's usually where learning stops. So Elder Clark extends it two further steps. The second is that based on that truth, we should be enabled to take effective righteous action. And then because of that righteous action, and maybe because of consistent righteous action, we become more like our Father in heaven. The shortest way to say it is we learn then we do, then we become. That's deep learning. And that is a lot of what our episode's about today, which is why we wanted this study tip here today. And essentially inviting God to be a part of our learning in all forms of our of our learning. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which kind of leads us to our study. And maybe I can start with this. I had an experience on my mission which many of the missionaries in our mission had similar experiences like this. But um, I, my companion and I had a question about an investigator, and I don't really remember what the question was. But I remember it was serious enough that we thought we'd pick up the phone and call our mission president and ask for his advice. And so I remember picking up the phone, um, calling our mission president, and then explaining to him the situation and what was happening with our investigator. And I'll never forget his response. Um, somewhat sarcastically, which uh, Germans are very, very good at, he said, uh, Elder Horton, tell me, who are the missionaries assigned in your city? And I said, uh, that's me and my companion, President. And he said, okay, 
good. And then he hung up. And I was blown away, but talking to other missionaries throughout the mission, I, I came quickly to realize that's how our mission president handled a lot of things. His whole idea was to put responsibility on you um, to make inspired decisions. I remember thinking after hanging up that phone call, well, shoot, what do I do now? What do I do next? Up to this point, um, mission life had been pretty regimented. I do what the white handbook tells me. I do what Preach My Gospel tells me. I do what my mission president tells me or what my companion tells me. But now all of a sudden I'm in a situation where I have to decide what to do next and there's no clear outline for what to do and how to do it. And I think this is just one of maybe a thousand possible questions that might come up to someone. It's not related to should I take, uh, should I go on a mission or not? Should I get married in the temple or not? Those are questions to which there's a simple gospel answer. But what about the questions that there is no simple, straightforward gospel answer to? As you were saying that, I telling that story or the end of it, I thought, well, it sounds like life. Mm-hmm. Like, that's life. We're making big decisions. We're making, we're constantly thinking of which direction to go and where to go and what to do and which house to buy and okay. where to live and all those questions that we all have that so, are important. So if you want this episode to work really well for you, I would say pause right now and think of what what's your what now or what next question. Um, and once you've got that, then press play and continue on because this episode will really come alive if you actually have a question in your mind that you're currently wondering to which maybe there is no specific answer that you can find, and you're wondering, what do I do about this? Did you pause? Did you play? Okay. Um, <laughs> so here's the introduction to the study block. Um, Second Nephi 31 is a fairly famous chapter where Nephi outlines the doctrine of Christ. But at the end of the chapter, it sounds like, for all the world, Nephi is ending his writing. This is verse 21. And now behold, my beloved brethren, this is the way, and there is no other way nor name given under heaven whereby man can be saved in the kingdom of God. And now behold, this is the doctrine of Christ and the only true doctrine of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, which is one God without end. Amen. And yet there's two more chapters. For some reason, Nephi stops as if he has stopped his writing, and then adds two more chapters. And the first verse in chapter 32 gives us the reason why. And now behold, my beloved brethren, I suppose that you ponder somewhat in your hearts concerning that which you should do after you have entered in by the way. So the question is, I've followed the doctrine of Christ. I'm a covenant member of the church. I've been baptized. I have the gift of the Holy Ghost, and I'm trying to endure to the end. But what now? Or what next? That's what we want to study today. And we find those answers in chapter 31, maybe step one or even step zero before we even get started into all this, is we follow Jesus Christ. Verse 7 of chapter 31 says, Jesus humbleth himself before the Father, and witnesseth unto the Father that he would be obedient unto him in keeping his commandments as he was baptized. And then in verse 10, he says unto the children of men, follow thou me, wherefore my beloved brethren, can we follow Jesus, save we shall be willing to keep the commandments of the Father. Nephi lays out clearly and plainly as he says the doctrine of Christ. 
He says, His soul delighteth in plainness, for after this manner doth the Lord God work among the children of men. It's nothing um, that we haven't heard before. We follow Jesus Christ, step zero. We have faith in him. We repent. And he there shows us the way, which is what we are going to study today. I like that the doctrine of Christ can be boiled down to that one simple truth, which is simply follow Jesus and do what he does. Now, of course, there's the steps that we talk about, faith, repentance, baptism, gift to the Holy Ghost, endure to the end, keep this commandment, keep that commandment. But really, the foundational step to getting any answer to any question is simply following the Savior, and following his words and following his example. And let's let one more person say this. Elder Clark says here, we need to strive to live the plain and simple truths of the gospel. If we take upon the, us the name of Christ, act with faith in him to repent of our sins, keep his commandments, and always remember him, we will receive the companionship of the Holy Ghost through the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ. I think you wanted to point out that last verse in 33. Oh, yes, how he ends. Yeah. I'm glad Nephi you reminded me of that. book ends as he does in a lot of places, this mm -hmm. study, by bringing up at the end of the, the very last words that he says. In 33. Verse 15. And, and I must obey. Amen. He has learned through many of his experiences that we've talked about, that we have read about, that's all it takes is this obedience, because that is the key to getting into the deeper learning and the way that we can be led and guided by the Holy Ghost to do those great things. Yeah. So if obedience is the foundational step, in chapters 32 and 33, Nephi gives three plain and simple ways to get an answer to the what next question or the what now question. Uh, and you'll almost laugh at these because they are literally the primary or Sunday school answers. He discusses the importance of scriptures in our lives, the word of God. Uh, he counsels us in our prayers and then he directs us to follow the promptings of the Holy Ghost. To illustrate how key these are, if you're familiar at all with the tabernacle in the wilderness that Moses set up as the children of Israel were wandering around for 40 years, there were different, almost symbolic stop signs in that tabernacle. There's an outer court of the tabernacle, and later when they build the temple in Jerusalem, there was an outer court in that temple. Um, in fact, there are a couple of different outer courts, but the idea of the outer court was anyone can come into that outer court, offer sacrifices, uh, and pay their tributes. However, inside the temple or the tabernacle proper was the holy place, and then even further back was the most holy place or the holy of holies. In the holy place, so in that first room that the high priest would enter, there were three symbolic objects. There was the lampstand with the seven candlesticks, there was the table of shewbread, and then there was the altar of incense. And looking at these three, it's very clear that they are symbolic. They were, of course, symbolic to the Jews, but they're also symbolic to us. Um, the first thing that Nephi mentions in chapter 32 is to feast on the words of Christ. One of the first, that first table or that table that's in the holy place is the table of shewbread, which symbolized that manna from heaven. Um, the second thing that Nephi talks about is prayer. 
and the altar of incense symbolized our prayers ascending up into heaven. The third thing that Nephi teaches or talks about is following the Holy Ghost. And those lamp, the lampstand there symbolizes the fire and the light that the Holy Ghost brings to our life. So although these three things are foundational or, or simple, they're extremely foundational and they're, um, I don't know, there's no better way to get an answer to your what now or what next question. So the first one, 2 Nephi 32.3, a verse that we have all heard and read probably many times. Angels speak by the power of the Holy Ghost, wherefore they speak the words of Christ. Wherefore I said unto you, feast upon the words of Christ. For behold, the words of Christ will tell you all things what you should do. That promise at the end has to catch your attention if you're looking for your answer to your what now question. Will tell me all things that I should do. How do you get that? You feast on the words of Christ. And I'm sure we've all been in lessons where we've talked about that. And so maybe this one perspective that might help us um, feast a little bit better. I've been obsessed with a couple of verses in section 84 lately. This is, oh, starting in verse 43. Of Doctrine and Covenants. Of Doctrine and Covenants, yeah. I give unto you a commandment to beware concerning yourselves, to give diligent heed to the words of eternal life. Nephi might say, feast on the words. But verse 44 adds an additional step that I think completes our feasting. It's not enough just to read the scriptures or even to mark the scriptures or to come up with cool insights. Verse although those things are although good. Those things are good <laughs> verse 44 says, for you shall live by every word that proceedeth forth from the mouth of God. You want a really cool scripture study? Don't look for things uh, that are interesting about the scriptures. Look for things that the scriptures talk about that you can take into, that you can ingest into your spiritual life. And then these promises will be yours. Listen, verse 45. For the word of the Lord is truth, and whatsoever is truth is light, and whatsoever is light is spirit, even the spirit of Jesus Christ. And the spirit giveth light to every man that cometh into the world, and the spirit enlighteneth every man through the world that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit. And everyone that hearkeneth to the voice of the spirit cometh unto God, even the father, and the father teacheth him. We use the word revelation in the church a lot, which by its most basic definition is God talking to us. The scriptures are a collection of revelation where God talks to us. And yet all too often we act as if the scriptures are just God talking to people that died thousands of years ago. We study what he said to them, but we never bring it into our life. Okay. So speaking of plain and simple, how does this actually look? You know, one of the goals that we wanted to have with this episode was really showing you maybe some practical ways that this works, mm-hmm. um, because I think that's important. We have these questions and we know to pray and read this or read the scriptures and pray and do those things. But how is that practical? And, you know, I'm sure you've had, hopefully you've had those experiences. Um, but yeah, what can we say maybe um, more to make that a little more practical for them? This is maybe just one of a hundred answers that could be given to that. But one thing that I do is, um, if you think of feasting, um, you sit down at the table, often you start with a prayer, but you're savoring the things that are on the table that you're eating and you're taking them into your life, into your body to give you nourishment and strength. 
The scriptures were not meant to be studied. They were meant to be feasted upon. So one way to do this, a very practical way, is this. Before you begin your scripture study, look at the chapter heading, maybe glance through the chapter a bit, and familiarize yourself with the context of the scripture block, whether it's the story that's happening or where the sermon's being given or the topic of the sermon. And before you read anything, think, how is this story like my life? Um, what questions do I have that this story or this sermon might answer, or at least might talk about? And then as you study, you're not studying the cool things that Nephi says because you want to study the cool things Nephi says. You're studying what Nephi is teaching you, or better said, you're studying what the Father is teaching you. These scriptures are words from God to you, and they're meant to be feasted upon. They're meant to be ingested. And you know, as you say that, I remember an experience that I had probably about last year, maybe a couple years ago, but where I had really struggled with reading Alma and the war chapters particularly. And here I was really trying this time to understand them. I just had questions about how we were raising our family. And I came to um, the verses as Moroni and his army were protecting some of those cities and the great lengths that they went to to protect and to um, build up walls and build up ditches and all of these this work that they went to and it struck me that for the first time I was able to apply those work to really nourish the mm -hmm. war chapters like nourishing my soul of ways that I could strengthen my family and build up my family and really came to understand that that's the point, at least for me, was that the war chapters were there and those instances were there for me to understand how I can protect myself and my family from this spiritual war that we have going on. A lot of times we treat scriptures like history and we study it as if it's history and it was never meant to be studied for history. It was meant for us. The second thing that Nephi teaches is in verse 9 of chapter 32, Behold, I say unto you that you must pray always and not faint. And this is one that causes me pause every time I read it, um, because I don't know if I've ever had a fully satisfactory answer to what it means to pray always. Now, this is going to be short because we're going to talk about prayer in many more upcoming episodes. But two thoughts that came to mind as I was studying it this time. First of all, if revelation at its core is communication from God to us, Prayer is the same thing, but in reverse. It's communication from us to God. There are many tools and, and customs of prayer that associate that, or are associated with that communication, but that aren't that communication itself. What I mean by that is this. Folding your arms, bowing your head, closing your eyes, getting on your knees, saying a verbal prayer are all customs of prayer. They're tools that help us get in the right mindset to talk to God. But none of them are prayer itself. Prayer is just us communicating with God. And so if the injunction is to pray always, it doesn't mean, of course, that we're bowing our head and closing our eyes and folding our arm and kneeling down and saying a verbal prayer all the time. But it does mean that we're in touch with God on a regular basis. And Krista's phone just buzzed, which is ironic because I was thinking of this very thought that in this modern world that we live in, in the past 10 years, we're probably better able to understand this point than any one of our predecessors because we have in our pockets something that helps us keep in constant communication with our families, with our children, uh, sometimes with work. 
and we receive communications incoming and outgoing, sometimes hourly, sometimes minutely. And I think that might be an okay model for how we can pray always. It's as if we're keeping God in our hearts and communicating with him throughout the day. That's one thought. The second thought, um, Paul in Thessalonians commands them to pray without ceasing. And the Greek word he uses, impress your friends with this, is adialeptos. And what that word means is to pray without interruption. And as I read that, I had to stop myself and say, how often do I actually pray without interruption? Um, How often do I pray without my mind wandering to the next activity? It's prayer before bedtime. I'm most excited to get into bed, and so my prayer seems rushed. Or it's prayer in the morning. I have three minutes to do it before I have to leave the house and catch my bus. Or it's prayer at dinner time where I'm smelling the food. Or it's prayer where there's noise around the house. How many times do I pray without interruption? And so maybe a simple, practical way of praying always is just find a time or a place or two throughout the day where you can talk to God without interruption. Yeah, I think another great way would be to keep a prayer journal or some of these other ways that maybe you analyze yourself and figure out how can I focus better or how can I communicate better to God in in whatever way. Maybe think outside the box a little bit on that one. Because that's a hard one. Yeah. really is. And our third point is, of course, receiving the Holy Ghost. So let's look back in chapter 32. Again, Zach read the verse on feasting upon the words. For they will tell you all things what you should do. And then verse 5 says, Receive the Holy Ghost. It will show unto you all things what you should do. I like that. The scriptures can tell you what you should do, but the Holy Ghost will tell you how or show you how you should do it. I think of that scripture in the New Testament talking about the hearers of the word and the doers of the word. Hmm. This is really the part where we get to do, get to act, get to show show our obedience in more ways than just listening to what we're saying. Nephi goes on in chapter 33 to say, I cannot write all the things which were taught among my people, neither am I mighty in writing like unto speaking. For when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth it unto the hearts of the children of men. Elder Bednar teaches something additional from these, from these chapters. He's, he quotes Nephi, when a man speaketh by the power of the Holy Ghost, the power of the Holy Ghost carrieth the message unto the hearts of the children of men. And then he points out, please notice how the power of the Spirit carries the message unto, but not necessarily into, the heart. The content of a message and the witness of the Holy Ghost penetrate into the heart only if a receiver allows them to enter. I like this because I think it really gets it makes it practical for us. I've wondered that a lot. How do I really get the Holy Ghost into my heart? How do I really listen to the Holy Ghost? How do I, I'm sure we've all wondered that. So let's talk about that a little. And I think someone that comes to mind, um, of course, first for many of us would be President Monson. That was always his message. So Zach had, you had that story. Yeah, well, we're all familiar. He, he tells 
President Monson's told these stories or has had told these stories a couple of times. One, a, a bad example that he had learned from and one, a good example that he had learned from. If you remember, he tells the story of getting a prompting in a meeting once to go visit, um, I believe it was a friend of his that was in the hospital, and he postponed following that prompting until after the meeting, only to find out when he got to the hospital that his friend had passed away. On another occasion, he's swimming, and he gets the thought um, that he should stop swimming and go visit his friend. In fact, this is his prompting, at least in his own words. Here you swim almost effortlessly while your friend Stan languishes in his hospital, unable to move. I felt the prompting, says President Monson, get to the hospital and give him a blessing. So he stops swimming. He goes to the hospital. Um, his friend Stan isn't in his bedroom, and the nurses tell him, oh, he's in the swimming pool getting ready for therapy. And as President Monson gets there, stands in his wheelchair at the deep end of the swimming pool, President Monson hails him. They go back to his room. He gives him a blessing. Later on, President Monson learned what Stan was thinking and feeling at that deep end of the swimming pool and how desperate he felt and how the thoughts of just rolling his um, wheelchair into the deep end had occurred to him and how President Monson showing up to Stan was a sign of God's love and companionship. But President Monson says this. This is in a 1985 talk. He says, that day Stan learned literally that we do not walk alone. I too learned a lesson that day. Never, never, never postpone following a prompting. And I think Nephi teaches further. Um, he says here in chapter 33, verse 10, um, he says, these are the words of Christ and he hath given, given them unto me and they teach all men that they should do good. These promptings that we get, these ideas that come into our head. Maybe sometimes we wonder, is this me? Is it the spirit? Yeah. What, what's what, what's talking? Yeah, yeah, am I making it up? But those things, if it's telling you to do something good, then it. it's from God. Okay. And it's telling us to do good. And good, let's go out and do good things and be, and listen to the, the spirit. And what's interesting is if our question is what to do next or what to do now, a lot of times it's on the road of following a prompting that you get the enlightenment or the answer to the question that you're looking for. President Hinckley always taught that a lot of times revelation comes when you're in motion, not when you're on your knees. Now, certainly you need to be on your knees praying and you need to be studying the scriptures, those first two points. But a lot of times the Holy Ghost teaches best when you're actually moving and working that's when the thought or the answer will come. Well, and maybe we can apply this to that story that Zach just talked about. I think that kind of encompasses all of this. President Monson wasn't praying when he received that prompting. He was swimming in a pool, mm -hmm. but certainly he had been praying earlier that morning and probably, you know, his, he praying was always. praying always. I'm sure he was the epitome of that. Um, but that we make this, we make it part of our lives, part of who we are and what we're doing. I think that's what praying always means and feasting on the word. I'm sure he was doing that. These become such a fluid thing mm -hmm. as we get practiced and as we are really trying to fine tune our communication with God. So just to summarize, if your question is what now or what next or whatever form of that question you currently have, 
the foundational step is we have to be following the Savior Jesus Christ. None of the other steps will work if we're not practicing obedience in our lives. Once we've got that foundation of practice down, though, Nephi teaches that we can get answers to our questions by feasting upon the words of Christ, by praying always, and by following the promptings of the Holy Ghost, which will show us all things that we should do. At the end of his writings, this is in chapter 33, Nephi just says, I, Nephi, have written what I have written, and I esteem it as of great worth, especially unto my people. For I pray continually for them by day, and my eyes water my pillow by night because of them. And I cry unto my God in faith, and I know that he will hear my cry. We hope that in our study of the books of Nephi over the last couple of episodes, that you can feel his emotion as he wrote, that you can feel God's love for you as you read, and that you can feel the Spirit motivating and prompting and inspiring you as you go out and live and do and become what it is that God wants you to do and become. Thank you for listening to this episode 12. We're grateful that you're here and we hope that you have a wonderful day.